Let's pray. Lord God, we need your help. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're always with us. Your grace really is sufficient, and you're always good to us. So this morning now, I pray that you would help me to speak and help all of us to hear the things that you're saying to us uh, through the apostle. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't been here, we've been um, going through the book of uh, uh, Philippians, and uh, this is the fifth part. We're finally getting to chapter three. We're calling this a study in joy, even though the first two chapters, not everyone was, not, each, not all those were about joy. But here in chapters three and four, he really begins to put it all together uh, and, and build his case here uh, for why we should keep rejoicing. And I love this uh, uh, particular chapter, um, chapter three. He begins this way, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. In other words, guys, I don't mind sounding like a broken record. In fact, it might make you remember it, and if you remember it, it might become a spiritual protection in your life. So I'm just going to say it again, rejoice in the Lord. I don't mind repeating it, I'll say it again, rejoice in the Lord. He's already mentioned uh, rejoicing and joy uh, several times here. In chapter one, he said, Whatever, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and, I, and in that I rejoice. You remember that? Great little passage there. In chapter two, he's talking about the persecution he's going, on, he's going through. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, I am glad and rejoice with you. Like Christ, rejoice with me. And in chapter, uh, uh, late in chapter two, he says, I'm more eager to send Epaphroditus, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. So in other words, uh, uh, Paul says, I rejoice in the proclamation of the gospel. I rejoice even in the midst of suffering. And I rejoice in fellowship. Basically in everything I'm gonna rejoice. So I'm just, I don't mind saying it to you. You should rejoice in the Lord also. So. Then he, he gets into this. Now, This is kind of a, you feel like he's pivoting here, but follow him. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, flesh is kind of a loaded term for us today. In in popular culture, the word flesh, when you see it on a, you know, you just see it on a computer screen or something or like a trailer for a movie, it's like, oh, it immediately carries sensual or sexual overtones. Uh, and, And even in, well, if you read the New International Version of Scripture, actually, the NIV translates the Greek word is sarx, and it translates that as sinful nature. So anytime, it's, anytime you see the word flesh, the NIV says sinful nature. Well, they realized that was a bad translation. They got flack for it for years because that's not what it means. It means flesh. It means flesh. Now, sometimes it's in different connotations when you're talking about sin of the flesh and things like that, but that's... It, uh, it, it doesn't have in and of itself a meaning of sin. It's just talking about body. So here, Paul's referring to something specific here. Um, those who mutilate the flesh. Um, there is a, a in, in this particular context, he's talking about people who put confidence in their physical flesh, namely through the mark of circumcision. Before he wrote this letter, Paul had gone through the region of Galatia. And he dealt with a group of people that thought the end-all, be-all of religious life was essentially circumcision, the mark of the covenant people, the mark of being a Jew. And uh, we don't know whether this issue had come up yet in Philippi or if he's just telling him, be on your guard for this. I think that's probably what it was. Um, So now I'm going to get a little bit technical for a minute. Is that okay? 
Now, I know a lot of you guys are like, I'm not very smart. Don't have me doing things. But you can, that's, I almost like, stop it. You are too. Just follow me, okay? So I'm not going to stay there for long, but I want you guys to take a step with me. A little bit of Bible school here, okay? This circle represents the Torah. The Torah, the entirety of the Mosaic law, okay? Um, this uh, not just talking about the Ten Commandments here, not even necessarily Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but in a broader sense, what it meant to be Jewish. Um, the uh, uh, Jewish society um, had all kinds of specific laws of cleanliness, and uh, the, the civil and ceremonial law, and uh, uh, that is what made the Jews the Jews was following the Torah, especially circumcision. But other things like this, laws about the Sabbath, Laws about holidays, what to do if you have a rash. <laughs> Laws about if you have mold in your house, what do you do then? Uh, how to approach the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, all that stuff. That's all a part of the Torah. And again, especially circumcision. So, in the first century, the Jews had had the Torah for a very long time. Now, they didn't always keep it perfectly, and there's some things they couldn't keep because they didn't all have access to the temple, but they kept it as best as they could. And so in the first century, here's what you had. You had Gentiles that were outside of that covenant, and you had the Jews that were inside. So you always had this exclusive thing going on, and the, the Apostle Paul speaking to this in a lot of his letters, and this became a major issue in the book of Acts as well. You had those who were in and those who were out. Now, if a Gentile wanted to, to worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he couldn't really not the way he was. There was a dividing wall. So even if he tried to go into the synagogue, they divided the Jews and the Gentiles. If he tried to go to the temple, as we've seen every time we study Passion Week, you've got the court of the Gentiles where Gentiles, you know, they couldn't go past this and go to where the, the real people of God could actually go. There was a dividing barrier, and that was the Torah. Are you with me still? Okay. Now, the only way for a Gentile, there was a way, for a Gentile to become a part of the people of God, and that was to become Jewish. That meant adopting the Torah. That meant going all the way into the circle. They, that was, they were called proselytes. Now, you can guess what the first thing they had to do was. Circumcision, okay? So this was, now this is a real problem for Gentiles. I mean, aside, now, just, let's just be practical. Aside from, like, that's a, that's a big thing to ask somebody, physically. It just just is. Now, not only that, you're telling them essentially that it, being a Greek or being a, a, a Roman or, or being a, a, an African or whatever, all these things, they're not good enough. What you need to do is become a Jew. Do you see that? That's what you have. So, so this was the issue. Now, um, so when the gospel came, here was the situation. You had Jews and proselytes that were inside of that covenant circle and then you had Gentiles, everyone else. And here's the cross, okay? When the gospel comes, though, there is a group of Jews, not, this isn't the Jews in mass, okay? This is a certain sect that said this. Okay, we, the Jesus thing is cool. As long as... As long as the cross is inside of here. Now, this is what Paul dealt with. This is what made Paul more angry than anything else in his letters, was when people did this. 
Because he's going, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's going through the region of Galatia, which is Turkey, and, and these places, and, and people are getting saved left and right. I mean, these are, these are the, the Galatians. You know who they, the Galatians were? They're the forerunners of the Celts. So you see, like, all these Braveheart guys and faces painted blue, and ah! like these, these guys, and they really were like that. They, were, they, were, they, they would loan themselves out to armies, and, and they, were, they were just rough. They were brutes. They're barbarians. And here they are meeting Jesus left and right, going, this is amazing. We don't want to do this stuff anymore. And so they all get saved, and Paul leaves, and you know what happens? These guys come after and go, hey, wait a minute. That's actually not quite enough. You also need to become Jewish. In other words, Jesus isn't enough. Do you see why this is idolatry? Do you see why Paul was so angry? And this is why he would say, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? And he would get, so you read Galatians, it's actually kind of funny. You can see the blood vessels pop out of him if you read the Greek. You can see. You can, so, so, you worship Jesus, that's fine. As long as you circumcise yourself. Circumcision first and then you're okay, and then you follow the Torah. Paul says that is called another gospel, a false gospel. Again, it was beginning in Galatia, and it was about to hit Philippi if it hadn't already. Paul is saying, look out for them. In fact, even his language in saying, look out for them, he's saying, look out for the dogs. That's very ironic, because it was usually the Jews, the hardcore Jews, that would call the Gentiles dogs, so he's turning the tables on them. Right, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. That's very sarcastic too, because he's he's making reference to the the pagan cults that would like cut themselves in their worship ceremonies and bleed all over the place in order to earn the favor of their gods. He's saying those who mutilate the flesh, you're basically just like that at this point. Paul does not like this thing. Are you with me? Okay. End technical part. Was that too hard? All right. Good. Now, right back in. He's talking now to Gentile Christians in Philippi. This would also apply to Jewish Christians as well who have rejected this, okay? Here's what he says. For we, including Gentiles, are the circumcision. We're the real keepers of the covenant here who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Do you see what he's saying here? The ones who actually have all the confidence in their flesh They're not actually partakers of the covenant anymore. The ones who are are the ones who don't put confidence in their flesh. The ones who really follow Jesus, the ones who are actually accepted in the presence of God are the ones who go, I'm not enough. My heritage isn't enough. My cultural heritage isn't enough. Circumcision isn't enough. Following the Torah isn't enough. None of these things are enough. I'm not enough. I need Jesus. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Now, here's the thing. I kept thinking about this chapter so interesting because we don't have a whole lot of Judaizers running around nowadays. We, there are, I, believe it or not, I've actually run into some Judaizers today. So they, this does happen. People will come to our YWAM base in California and we're trying to tell everybody that we need to start eating kosher and following the Jewish calendar and all this stuff. And we're like, what? And we're like, haven't you ever read the book of Galatians? And his answer essentially was, well, we don't believe that's an inspired book. Incredible. So it does happen, but that's not the biggest thing we face nowadays in regard to this kind of stuff. But you know what we do face? And I, we say this a lot here. We face a culture that worships the self. <clears throat> I don't mind saying it again. It's a safeguard for you. <laughs> Joshua and I say this all the time. 
Our American Western materialistic culture worships me, worships you, and tries to tell you that it's your deepest desires and things and all this stuff. That is the way to salvation. Self-actualization is the way to salvation. Do you, baby. I did it my way. We've taken this really beautiful song and made this the mantra of generations. We do it our way, and that's what makes us amazing. Don't you ever sell out. Don't you ever do anything the way somebody else tells you. Self-actualization. Do you see what I'm saying? We are the, the, the true keepers of the covenant, the true worshipers of Jesus Christ are the ones who put zero confidence in themselves, in their pedigree, in their talents, in their passions. You put no confidence in that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean diddly. Just like your cultural heritage or however you've marked your flesh to show yourself accepted, none of that means anything. Your passions, oh, well, you're saying they're worthless? Well, no, they're not worthless, but if you want to try to build your life and find a way to God through those things or try to find a way to acceptance, then yes, they are worthless. This is a hard thing for us to hear, but here's the truth, okay? Here's the truth. You are not sufficient. You're not enough. You remember the old Saturday Night Live thing? Stuart Smalley would look into the mirror, and what would he say? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. You're not actually good enough. Sorry. Now, you might be here, maybe, maybe this is all new to you, maybe this whole Christianity thing is new to you. And you're like, you're telling me that I'm not good enough. That's kind of insulting. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not backing off that statement. This actually is what Christianity says. It says, but here's the good news. All of us are in the same boat, man. Every single one of us are in the same boat. In fact, this should be the most egalitarian, awesome thing we can all say. Like, hey, wait a minute, you're messed up? Hey, so am I. Hey, you're insufficient? Guess what? I'm insufficient too. Guess what? You're hopelessly broken? Ha <laughs> ha, me too. This is why we need him, see? And we still need him, even after we meet him. Believe, guys. Don't believe in, your, don't believe in yourself. Don't believe in your dreams. Believe in your own frailty. Believe in your need for Christ. Believe in those things. Your flesh, your body, your identity, your vocation, none of that means anything in the kingdom of God. In fact, those are the things we must be willing to surrender to him. Paul continues. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. You want to talk about confidence? I'll tell you confidence. Get this. And he goes through this list also in the book of Galatians. This is great. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law of Pharisees, zeal persecuted the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's rehearsed that. (laughs) And they're all good things, except for the persecuting of the church part. For, for, For his part, that was like, he was saying, this is how much zeal I had. All of these, this is, this is not a list going, look at all these terrible things. This is going, guys, I was awesome. I was amazing. People wanted to be me. 
I was the up and coming, he was up and coming like intellectual superstar of this region. He was the guy everybody was going to come to with the, with the, the, the questions and he was going to give them the answers. And, he, and boy, like words of honey be dropping from his lips and be like, oh, oh Saul, we love you so much, tell us more. And he's, yes, yes. And he gave it all up. All of it. Here's what he says. But, for this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I taught on this a couple years ago, a few years ago. The word rubbish is tamed. The older versions translated this as dung. And that's also tamed. Paul was using a harsh word here to get your attention. The word in Greek is skubala. Doesn't that have a great ring to it? Skubala! <laughs> Here's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. He says, all of the good things, my whole brag list, all of my credentials, everything I had, all the dreams I had, everything everybody thought I was going to be, all of that was a big flaming pile of scuba <laughs> compared to what I have in Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's not just like, because I remember these were good things. They weren't bad things. They were good things. But he says, compared to Christ, that's a bunch of scuba And I'm saying, I'm telling you, it's true. Do you see it? He wants you to wince a little bit. He does. Ooh, whoa, like, dude, that's harsh. He goes, I know, but that's the truth because Jesus is that much greater. All, all of it, he gave up, guys. He's not just, he's not just bragging here. He actually did give all of this up. You remember, he had it all. He was on the horse. He, he was, he was, <laughs> He was on the horse, and the light shone down and knocked him off the horse. Now what are you going to do, Paul? You found out this isn't true. If you follow Jesus, you give everything up. It's all gone. It's all done. What are you going to do? And he actually chose to give it up. And he says, all of that stuff I had is disgusting to me now. Not only worthless, it's disgusting. Oh. So I, I, to, to have Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. There is simply no comparison. This here is so much greater. It's no comparison. And I would do it again and again. I would do it. I, 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 I would make that choice and I'm not gonna think different about it no matter what happens to me. It's a good trade. There's a story told about a man who lived in a town and there was a plot of land, 12 acres on the edge of town that had been, on, that had been for sale for at least a decade. Everybody kind of, Forgot about it. It was sort of an eyesore. And nobody ever had much interest in this thing. And one day this guy was taking a walk with his dog. And his dog saw a gopher and just, just beelined it after this gopher, right? And it's right in the middle of that plot of land. And 
He didn't really care. He just kind of walked over. Okay, okay, leave the gopher alone. The gopher burrows down in the dirt, and the dog starts digging after him. And he's trying to pull his dog back, but he looks down, and, and the sunlight just reflects off the something down there. So he, he's oh, wondering what that is. And he, he goes down, and he starts brushing it off, and it's cold, and it's like metal. So he, he pulls it out. He's interested now. He pulls it up, and it's an old box, an old metal box, like really old. And says, okay, what's this about? He opens it up. He looks inside, and there's stones, dust all over him, dirt all over him, but stones, and they look old, and they're cut stones. So he pulls them out, it's kind of greenish in color, and he wipes it off as best he could. He holds it up to the light, and the light's coming through it and reflecting through it, and he thinks, what is this? So he has an idea. He shoves it in his coat pocket. He closes the box. He puts it back in the hole, and he covers it back up with dirt. And he's kind of, <laughs> now, his old buddy is a jeweler, old college buddy. And he comes into the jewelry store and he says, hey, uh, Tommy boy, what do you think of this? And he looks at it and he goes, where'd you get this? Oh, just nowhere. <laughs> take a look at it? He goes, sure, I'll take a look. He looks in there. Where did you get this? Nowhere. He goes, tell you what, I'll give you 500 bucks for it. Wait a second. What is it? Give you 5,000 bucks for it. <laughs> he says, I don't know where you got this, but this is the biggest emerald I've ever seen. He goes, how much is it worth? He goes, honestly, the biggest one I've ever seen was sold for $500,000, and this is at least twice as big as that. Where did you get this? He goes, nowhere, grabs it, puts it in his coat. See ya. He walks, and then he walks in a meander. He's going around all the buildings, and make sure nobody's following. He goes back to the box, and his hands are shaking. He finds it again. He pulls out another one. He rubs it off, and it's like clear. He closes it, covers it up. <clears throat> he walks back into town. Hey, uh, Tommy, what about this one? <laughs> Tommy looks at it. It's like almost the size of his fist. He looks in it, and he slams the table. Where did you get this? He says, what is it? He said, this is a diamond. This is a real diamond. And I can't even tell you how much this thing is worth because I've never seen one this big before. And he says, thank you. He grabs it, and he runs out. He goes back. This time, he takes an hour and what should have been a two-minute walk making sure nobody's following. He comes back to the box. He puts it in. His hands are shaking. He counts them all. There's 33 stones in there. He looks at the for sale sign. He closes the box. He covers it up. Really good this time. Really good. He paces it out, even though he knows right where it is. Just wants to be sure. He runs home. Actually, he does this home. <laughs> he opens the door. Honey, 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 honey. We gotta sell the house. What are you talking about? We gotta sell the car. What? We gotta sell my boat. Your boat? You love that boat? I know, we gotta sell the kids. No, okay, maybe not the kids. We gotta sell everything we have. We gotta, we gotta sell, we gotta sell everything we have. Why? Because we gotta buy a field. <laughs> and he goes in and, and they put up for sale signs and he tells her and people come and somebody comes and, and they, they, he buys the boat from him. And, and he's, even though it's his precious boat, he takes it and he's giggling the whole time as, as, as he's getting the money. He's giggling because he knows that all this money that's going to come in, he's going to buy this field with his treasure that's worth so much more than what he has. 
And it's a joy for him to surrender. This is what story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is what Paul found. Paul had a lot of good stuff, but he found a treasure that was worth so much more. So even as he's giving it up, even as it's torture for him to go through all these going through, even he's getting beat and all these things, he's getting persecuted and he's going, ha, 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 I got Jesus. What is with this man? See, even though you might not actually face the same kind of ultimatum that Paul faced, you have to see something about him. He actually means it. He actually means it. He doesn't regret it. He says, yeah, my old group of best friends are trying to assassinate me in Jerusalem, and that's too bad, but that's okay because God's really good and I have Jesus. Yeah, I've just been stoned again. Not that kind of stones, you hippies. I've been stoned again, and one actually made contact with my skull, and it actually kind of hurt. But you know what? That's okay. I'll keep getting stoned again and again and again and again, and holy cow, it's going to be great, because I have Jesus, and I'd rather have all men hate me and have him than I have all men worship me and not have him. It's worth it. Or I just got illegally arrested in Philippi and beaten within an inch of my life, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sing a hymn to Jesus. Let's do it. We might bleed out and die, but it'll be fun, because he's worth it. Do you see him? See, you and I might not face that kind of ultimatum. I hope that we never have to. Will, will we give up all we have or will we, will we continue on with him? If we do, I pray that you and I have the strength to give up each and everything he's calling us to. But you know what does happen where we do face this? It's when we start to lose something or when something isn't going our way in the kingdom or when somebody's sick or, or, or when we lose someone or, or when we lose a job and we go, oh no, what are we gonna do and there's a natural process there of disappointment. And sometimes we've got to go through a process there of dealing with that. But you know what? You know what the Apostle Paul would say to you? Remember the treasure! Yeah, you might have lost your job, but you have the treasure. You have Jesus Christ. And he's so much better than all of that. In fact, your old job is scobola compared to him. Do you see that? That you might have sickness and you might not even make it. Who knows? We're all going to die. Or this life is a breath. But you have Jesus. You have Jesus. And that's scobola compared to those other things. You see that? This is what he's calling us to. Can we celebrate the treasure? Will we continue to rejoice even when we have to surrender? Because there is joy in surrender. This is what Paul's calling us to in chapter three of Philippians, the joy of surrender. Are you ready for that? Man, I don't know, it's easier said than done, isn't it? I'm not saying it's easy because I have to work hard for joy in the midst of hard times. I don't know about you. But if we continue to choose it, we continue to go after it, and we continue to believe in the words of what he says, that Jesus Christ really is sufficient yesterday, today, and forever. If he's really sufficient, then we can choose him even if we give up everything else. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the treasure of, your, uh, of you. We thank you for the treasure you laid your life down for us. Help us, Lord, to choose joy in the midst of hard times. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your unending love for us. If you need prayer today, prayer servant team is going to be here. Maybe you just need an influx of joy this morning. You know, he can give that. Maybe you need wisdom. Ask and you shall receive. 
So come up and get prayer. Let's